0: Because, listen, investing is not just, you don't just close your eyes and throw a dart. You have to do the work. If you don't want to do the work, then you either play it via mutual funds or you play it via ETF. But you get exposure across across the different industries, right?
1: On this episode of Early Bird, Kenny Polcari, the founder and managing partner of Case Capital Advisors, chief market strategist at Slate Stone Wealth, strategic advisor to MCAM, and a financial commentator for Fox Business News, CNBC, CNN, and a range of advisors. Kenny joins the podcast today to talk about the history and current state of inflation and what inflation means for investors today. If you're an investor looking to stay on top of the latest market trends, then you're listening to the right podcast. This is Early Bird, and I'm your host, Stephen Lerner. Before we get to today's discussion, Let me tell you how you can save time and beat the market through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter featuring commentary about the latest trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and equity crowdfunding. Early Bird is designed to help individual and non-professional investors stay on top of all of the critical investing trends. The newsletter is 100% free and is sent to your email box each weekday morning. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, today's discussion. All right, Kenny. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Early Bird podcast today. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Um, it's really great to have you on the, the podcast, especially with your um, experience, decades of experience in the financial markets. Um, in, within the past several decades, you've seen a, a huge evolution of, the, of, of trading. Um, what, what comes to mind in terms of some of the biggest changes that you've seen over that time period?
0: Well, listen, you have to understand how I came into the market, right? It was the summer of 1980 when I was 19 years old and I had the chance to, to, um, to intern uh, on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, not even knowing what the New York Stock Exchange was. I'm not a kid from New York. I was a kid from Boston. I went to Boston University. I had this opportunity, though, to go work on the floor of the exchange. I almost turned it down. In fact, I did turn it down. Uh, And then I rethought my decision, and I thought, okay, what's the, you know, what's the worst thing? The worst thing was I go there. It was after my freshman year of college. I'm gonna go there. I'm either gonna love it or hate it. If I hate it, I just chalk it up for experience and move on, and if I love it, who knows, it could change the course of my life. Well, I went there in the summer of 1980 when it was 5,500 type A personalities running around the floor, trading stocks in an open outcry, uh, fashion, the way that you envision it in your head, uh, pen to paper, eights of a dollar, uh, very dramatic, very exciting. And, mm-hmm. and so I went back in the summer of 81, the summer of 82, um, and the summer of 82, uh, you know, when you talk about kind of interesting, interesting stories and aspects, what, what, you know, your listeners should understand because probably a lot of them, weren't even born in 1982 or, or were too young to recognize. But in 1982, we had just come through the Jimmy Carter years, and the Jimmy Carter years were marked at the end of his term by, uh, by not only the Iranian hostage crisis, which demoralized the country, but a huge economic crisis. There was the oil embargo. There was, um, there was a huge, a huge uh, disaster in the, in, the, in the economy. Interest rates were on their way to 21%. Inflation was on, was on its way to 13%. Um, unemployment was on its way to 10%, uh, at the end of the Carter administration. Uh, and in 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected president. He took his office in 81. Um, but the Dow at the time was trading in the eight hundreds, (laughs) eight hundreds, like eight hundred and fifty today. It closed at 34, where it close (laughs) 34,300, um, and so uh, so it was a very interesting time but in the summer of 1982 mm-hmm. was the height of stagflation and the worst part of the of of the economic current in that cycle of the economy in that cycle and what Reagan did uh, was institute the big Reagan tax tax cuts which was a huge you know which was a huge tax cut program because he was going to break the back of uh, inflation. He was going to break the back of stagflation. He was going to break the back of high interest rates. He was going to break the back of unemployment by um, instituting this massive uh, uh, tax plan. Right, a, a massive tax cut. The Reagan tax cuts, which were really, um, which were really incredible at the time, and then partnered up with the Fed. Paul Volcker was Fed chairman at the moment. Today, Fed, Fed Chair is Jay Powell, so we understand what we're talking about. Um, who then took to the airwaves on August 17th, 1982. And I'll never forget this because it was one of the most incredible days of my career and time on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Now, what you have to remember is in 1982, there was no no, uh, internet. Mm -hmm. There was no LinkedIn. There was no Twitter, no Facebook, no social media, no TikTok, no Instagram, no nothing.
1: No podcast.
0: (laughs) No podcast, no television on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, no radios on the floor, no nothing. Um, And so the way the the, the news traveled around the floor was the traditional fashion where you picked up a newspaper or somebody from the outside called you to tell you what was happening. And on the Monday, August 16th, when the Dow was trading at 795, um, there was a rumor that the Fed was going to come out on Tuesday morning and make this announcement, this surprise announcement. Well, everybody laughed because the Fed never made, A, never made surprise announcements, never came out on Tuesdays, It was always out on Thursday mornings at 8 30 in the morning, never on Tuesday. So it made no sense. But yet that was, you know, everyone understood where the economy was, uh, you know, what was happening in the Reagan administration, all the chalk talk and chatter about, you know, a new economy and a new world of blah 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 blah. And so on Tuesday morning, uh as uh as the clocks, you know, approach eight thirty, the you know the five thousand people that are running around the floor before the trading starts, but they're getting their day started. They're <laughs> opening their books, they're getting all that stuff done and ready. Suddenly, at about eight thirty, the room gets you know kind of quiet. Now it's hard to say five thousand people got quiet, but you know people are just kind of waiting to see if the phone rings, if somebody calls me on time. Because again, there was no television, there was no internet, so you, the only way we were going to find out if anything happened is if somebody called. Mm. So what happened at about 8.30 and 30 seconds was one of the most incredible moments of my career. And what happened was the Fed, in fact, did come out uh, and they did make a surprise announcement. And Paul Volcker stepped to the podium and he said that the Fed was cutting interest rates. Now, listen to this, because this is important.
1: Mm -hmm. The
0: Fed was cutting interest rates by 10 percent. You hear what I just said? They were cutting it by 10%. So interest rates were 21 and a half. They cut rates by two full percentage points. That's a drop. Now I say it that way because today we're talking about raising rates by a quarter of 1% and everybody's having a nervous breakdown. So in 1982, they announced they were cutting rates by 10%. So yes, rates were still high. They went from 21% to 19%. Yes, but it was the move. It was the the speed, the pace at which they made that cut, and then the pace at which they promised to make further cuts yeah. to bring the interest rates down to try to reignite the economy. And what did it do? It gave birth to the greatest bull market that this country and the world has ever seen because interest rates went from 21% in 19, the summer of 1982 down to what became normal, you know, 4 to 5%. Uh, you know, uh, in in, I guess they got down to four to five percent by nineteen. I want to say eighty-five ish, because mm-hmm. they had to come down and down and down. Right, unemployment went from you know ten and a half percent down to down to five percent, and inflation went from thirteen percent down to you know three percent. It took time, but that's but that's what happened, right? Which is why I laugh today when people go when I tell that story about uh, inflation being out of control and interest rates having to. Before forced to control inflation, everyone goes, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, it never happens. Really? Dude, let me tell you something. It happens, right? And it can happen again. And quite honestly, my fear is, as is the fear for a lot of other people, is that what the Fed has done over the last decade since the great financial crisis, mm-hmm. when they pumped the system with money, not only the Fed, but every central bank around the world, the ECB, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the People's Bank of uh, of China, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of Canada. Yeah. They've all pumped the system full of money and stimulus. And so it's gone on for more than a decade because it started during the great financial crisis of 2007-8. And it's still going on and we're in 2021. So that's more than a decade. And then it only got ramped up in twenty in 20, uh, 2020 when COVID hit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so and now so, we're yeah
1: now we're dealing with this uh, interesting situation uh, to a degree. It's, it's certainly impacting the way that investors and traders should approach the market. I, I kind of want to switch gears here and focus a bit more on inflation. What what what, what yeah. do you, what do you make of the current state of inflation from an well, investing so, standpoint?
0: So, so, well, so the current state of inflation, in my mind, is very clear and has been clear. Right? I've been concerned about rising inflation, and we've seen it over the last six months. It starts to tick up, and you've seen it across a lot of uh, a lot of uh, 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 price points. Whether it's been in lumber, whether it's been in precious metals, whether it's been in semiconductors and cars, and some of it now clearly a result of supply disruptions because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yes, but that's because the government decided to shut the whole world down. And so therefore, you know, when you shut the world down and you disrupt all that, it doesn't come right back online. So we've got those lingering uh, supply chain issues. So that's number one. Yeah. And number two, um, inflation is starting to spin out of control because of all the stimulus. Now, you see what's happened to housing. I don't even know who can afford to go out and buy a starter home. Though. Now, they down here in Florida, starter homes are at a million dollars. I don't understand how a, a 30-year-old is buying a million dollar starter home. Uh, in Florida or New York or other parts of the country, Sure, you can move out to Idaho and probably buy it for two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, great. What are you gonna do in Idaho? right? I mean, I guess I guess if you can work remotely, you can live in Idaho, but mm-hmm. one way or the other. Um, and so I, I view this as a big problem and while, and while uh, and while Chairman Fed Chairman Powell has been trying to control the narrative, and I will say he controlled it very well for a long time. Um, saying that it's transitory, there's nothing to worry about, we're keeping our eyes on it. Meanwhile, uh, you know, if you go food shopping, you know what I'm talking about. If you go to the gas pump, you know what I'm talking about.
1: Inflation is a critical topic today. When we return, we'll hear from Kenny about what investments to make in order to prepare for inflation. But first, let me tell you how you can become a more informed investor through Early Bird. A free daily email newsletter. Early Bird has commentary on the latest events and trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and crowdfunding. With Early Bird's daily weekday email, investors can quickly stay on top of the trends and beat the market. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, back to today's discussion. And so with the cost of, of goods going up when certainly so, there, you have these supply chain issues, from an investing standpoint, what does it mean?
0: So so what it means is it depends on who you are, right? So if you are your age, and I'm assuming you're somewhere in your 30s, am I right? That would be correct. Okay, so if you're your age, you should be all in. You should have a, a portfolio that uh, is designed to take advantage of your age and time and grade, because you've got at least 35 years to go before you really have to worry about it. If you're someone like me, who's 60, my portfolio is going to look very different from yours, not only because it might be bigger than yours, but it's also going to be designed differently because I don't have 35 years. I'm lucky if I've got 20 more years, right? Maybe 25 more years um, before something really happens to me. So as a young investor, I would continue to put your money in. I would not panic. I wouldn't go hit the sell button if the market goes through turmoil. In fact, I would use that as an opportunity to put more money to work. Now, you might say, "Okay, well, what stock should I buy based on what the current environment? Okay, that's a different conversation, right? But and I can tell you what stocks to buy. But again, as a 30 year old, I wouldn't worry about being so defensive and so safe and all that stuff because you've got time on your side and you've got the opportunity, whether it's monthly or quarterly, to continue to put money into whatever that account is, whether it's a 401k, an IRA or just a straight investment account that you've got the opportunity to continue to put that money in. So if I were someone like you, if I were giving advice to someone like you, I would have across the spectrum, right? I may not have utilities in there because mm. utilities are way defensive and they're much more conservative. And in a rising rate environment, utilities don't do good. So utilities I would not have for you, but I would have absolutely, I'd have tech. I'd have disruptive tech. I'd have artificial intelligence tech. Tech does not mean the fang stocks. There's there's more tech out there beyond Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, and and Google, all right? Just so that everybody knows, because they talk about, oh my God, the bank stocks. Technology is so much bigger than that. And so cybersecurity, I'd have cybersecurity in there. Now, whether you buy them individually, individual names within those spaces, or whether you play it via ETFs so you get broad exposure versus, you know, it's kind of like doing it in a mutual fund, but it trades like a stock, right? You understand the difference between a mutual fund and an ETF, I imagine. Mm -hmm. And so if you buy Hack. HACK, which is a which is a cybersecurity ETF, but it gives you broad exposure to a range of, of of companies within that space. So you don't have to go select one or two names because you might select the wrong two names. So you so you might play at the ETF. You might want to be in energy either through the XLE, which is the S and P. Maybe you want to find uh, maybe you want to find one of the pro shares, energy funds, whatever it is you want. That's how I would play it. But I would have exposure across all the industries for you, someone like you. I might stay away from consumer staples because that, they're a little bit boring. They're good for me because they offer stability. and They offer dividends. But you don't need dividends right now. You're 30 years old. You need growth. You need opportunity. You need something exciting and sexy, right? I had sexy. I still have sexy. But I don't have, I have less sexy than you would probably have. But that's what I would say for a young guy. So to answer that question, it's not just a blanket answer. I can't give an answer because it depends on who you are, what your age is, where you are on the risk scale, what you're trying to provide for, what your issues are, what your responsibilities are in terms of cost structure, who are you taking care of? Are you taking care of kids, grandparents, parents, whatever? That's going to be very different than you. You're probably not taking care of anybody. I mean, unless you're married, you have a wife, that's fine, and kids. But if you're not you're completely, you know, running, running free, which is great, great position to be in for you. And so I would say to you, you want to build a portfolio that airs on the aggressive side and it might get ugly for a while, right? Cause aggra- uh, 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 growth stocks are going to come under some pressure, but that actually is an opportunity for you because you're going to average, you're going to dollar cost average lower, which is good for you. As long as you're buying names that you're comfortable with Apple. So, Apple is Apple. I'm never selling my Apple, no matter what happens to Apple. Because if I feel like it's going to go down, I'm going to hedge against the loss. So therefore, I still hold my Apple position, but I've hedged against it. So when the market goes lower, my hedge will offset the losses in Apple. But I'm never selling my Apple or my Microsoft, or I'm not getting rid of my J.P. Morgan or my Bank of America. But, right, those Mm -hmm. are names. Those are foundational names. Those are names that make up a good portfolio. So can you own J.P. Morgan or Bank of America? You absolutely could. And should you, you absolutely should, because you need exposure to the banking sector, especially if we're going to be in a rising rate environment. Banks are going to do well, so you should absolutely be in the banking sector, whether it's individual names or you play it via an ETF that gives you broad exposure. Right, the XLF, which is the S and P uh, Financial Services ETF, is a great way to play it. If you don't, if you don't, you know, if you don't either, if you're not able to do individual analysis and work, because listen, investing is not just. You don't just close your eyes and throw a dot. You have to do the work. If you don't want to do the work, then you either play it by a mutual fund or you play it by an ETF. But you get exposure across across the different industries, right? Um, so you should have tech. You should have and and those different kinds of tech, right, are all in there. Um, and it's like I said, it's more than just Fang. Right. You should have financials in there for sure. You should absolutely have energy in there, uh, dr- uh, pipelines and drills in there, because, you know, the world is going to continue to be dependent. Now, that, I'm not saying we shouldn't move to more solar power, wind power. We should. And we are. But I don't see how solar power or wind is going to help planes flame, uh, fly across the ocean. They're not. Or, or trucks travel down the road to delivering, to delivering uh, uh, manufactured products all around the country. Eventually, maybe, but not happening in the next 10 years for sure. Um, and so you should have exposure there. You should have exposure to uh, health care, right? Um, you should have exposure to all the industries, basic materials, certainly. Um, and, and, and industrials, for sure, especially uh, to the industrial sector, especially if you know this infrastructure package gets passed in the in European, uh, now that they had the German elections last week, mm-hmm. Um you know they're all looking towards the same things that we are aging infrastructure and and renewal of uh of their of their economies and so industrials names like caterpillar john deere are going to be great stocks to own ibm is another one it is an industrial even though it's a computing it's a, it's a tech company but it's a, it's considered an industrial it's part of the dow jones um and it's a great dividend payer again not that you need so much dividend but I will say some of these stocks that have high yields do offer stability in a down market. So, you know, it's not going to kill you to own some of that. I just wouldn't necessarily be in it. Me, on the other hand, I am much more overweight in dividend paying stocks because of my age and because of where I am in life. And because of what I'm looking to protect and do, right? Am I nervous about the market going lower over the next, you know, six months? Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, uh, over the last couple of weeks, as the market has been in turmoil, September and October is a traditionally seasonally weak time of the year. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it. I've been saying it for for weeks now in my daily in my daily uh, email and my in my YouTube video that I produce, right? And be uh, along with a bunch of other people have been reminding investors about the about the seasonality of the markets in September and October. So nobody should be surprised that the market is weaker this time of year. Nobody should be surprised that, um, you know, that we're going through this. Look, the end of September is now the end of the third quarter. Um, And so there's been a lot that's gone on. And the end of the third quarter means it's the marking period for anyone that owns a mutual fund, right? Because they mark to the market at the end of the quarter. So these portfolio managers that run these mutual funds are all positioning themselves. And so they're jettisoning some names, they're adding to other names, which is why you also see this volatility at this time of the year, because there's a lot of that going on. So they try to dress up their portfolios to look as pretty as they can look going into the final quarter of the year. And when they send out, when you get your mutual fund statement in early October that tells you how they did in the third quarter, they want to have in there, they want to a show their best foot forward. They want to show the stocks that they own in there so that you see that they're paying attention, blah, 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 all that stuff. So uh, nobody should be panicked. Now you might see the market back off, but you're not going to see the market back off 30% right? Mm -hmm. You're not. If we get a 10% correction, that'd be great. But every time we get down 5%, everyone goes running in because they're afraid they're going to miss the next move up. And so it offers some support for the market. But at some point, the market will perform the way it is, and it will go lower no matter how many people sit there, go, I'm buying the dip, I'm buying the dip. When the sellers decide they want to sell, the buyers will step out of the way and the market will come in and that's okay. Because that's actually what it should do. You should want the market to shake the branches. You want to see the weaklings fall out of the tree because that makes it for a more healthy, robust market. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I could keep talking, but you don't <laughs> want me to keep talking because you know we'll be here all night.
1: Yeah, the, Kenny, thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate hearing your perspective, your commentary. Of course, we're not giving actual financial advice; it's just for entertainment purposes. But thank you so Correct. much for you know your your your, your view on the current economic situation with inflation and what sectors or types of stocks investments that uh, investors should look for today. I do have one final question and it's probably the biggest question uh, for this podcast right now. Uh, final question real quick. Uh, if you could have dinner with anybody alive or, or deceased, anybody in history, uh, who would that person be?
0: Dude, why didn't you give me a heads up? you were to ask that question. Because that's really a great question. I want to come up with the right answer for that. <laughs> um, who would it be? Uh, who would it be? I think it would be. I think it would be. Steve Jobs from Apple. That's what I think it should, would be for me. Right. Steve Jobs, because. Because. Um, I think it was fascinating. I think mean, he was a fascinating personality. I think he had a very com- complicated uh, personality. I think he was a very complicated person in terms of his his mind, the way it operated, the way it the way he interacted. Um, and so it's fascinating. I think that he, uh, I think he, like like a lot of people suggest, might have been somewhere on the spectrum. and I, I think it's fascinating to, because he was brilliant. Um, and his style was brilliant and he changed the world. I mean, A- Apple changed the world and continues to change the world. And so I think having dinner with him would have, been, um, would have been really fascinating.
1: Thank you again to Kenny Polcari for sharing your insights on investing. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's discussion. We'll be back next week for another episode of Early Bird. Have a great day.